Would you feel more comfortable on an improv stage or canoeing in the backcountry? Find out which Book Interrupted member you're most like by visiting www.bookinterrupted.com forward slash members. Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and strong language. Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode of Book Interrupted. Even looking at how the last conversation with and how this one gets to a point where it's almost fun and it's weird. When you notice things, you're like, wait a minute, that, that's ridiculous. Notice in my dreams, people with different skin color. And until I can be like, yeah, racist. Oh, yep, racist. Because I don't categorize myself as not white. That all of a sudden, like, I felt like I earned this badge because I read this book. Rock a bye, white <laughs> people. You're going to be okay. We know yeah. you're fragile. <laughs> and you're racist as well. My body is Disrupted. Mind, body, and soul. Inspiration is with uh, And we're gonna talk it uh, out. On Book Interrupted. Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. If you'd like to join along, this book cycle is from May 9th to June 13th. It's the fan book choice. And Squiggy will be joining us for this book cycle. The book that we're reading is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. In this in-depth exploration, this book examines how white fragility develops, how it protects racial inequality, and what we can do to engage more constructively. All right, so it's personal journal time. Let's see what the members of Book Interrupted thought outside the group. This journal is going to be focusing around the first recording for Book Interrupted. I've read the book now twice. Well, technically listen to the book twice. So I'm not going to have progress on these journals of reading the book, but perhaps a reflection of how the first recording went would be entertaining. And it went well. It was just a good primer. We talked obviously about racism. Uh, Some people had just started the book. Other people had done far more in-depth research. And it was a safe space to explore things. Some people were scared. And talking to white people about racism does scare them. So it does need to happen. The discussion does need to happen. So giving an opportunity and a safe space and making sure that my intro went smoothly and that I'm not here to point a finger, I'm not here to judge, allowed for the foundation for a lot of discussion to happen. There was, I had fun. I got some of my ideas out there, I think. Some people will be moving forward on various ideas that were spoken about, and it was beneficial. It's it's not something that can be easily measured, but it explored some things that I hope the white people are taking the time to reflect on things, and that's what really matters. So yeah, uh, I look forward to how what they actually have to say when they finish the book. I am more excited for the points, the topics to be book specific. We touched upon a handful of things in the forward, in the intro, but uh, especially the white women tears and the getting to the 
binary of good and bad racists is a great discussion to have that I'm looking forward to. What I'm looking forward to watching them have the discussion about white women tears. All right. I think that's it for now. Thank you. Hey, so this is my second personal journal for white fragility. I'm about two chapters in and man, there's so many things about this book that I'm learning and uh, reflecting on what is happening in my own life and what has happened growing up. I mean, so many things, you know, about the fact of the challenging individualism and reflecting on our group membership, changing our beliefs and objectivity, uh, that race like a gender is socially constructed, that race science was created in order to uh, justify enslavement and colonization, and that actually, and this is a quote, exploitation came first, and then the ideology of unequal races to justify this exploitation followed. You know, and that everyone's prejudiced, everyone discriminates, uh, the percentage of white people who are the most powerful in the most powerful institutions in the U.S. I mean, I've written so many notes just from the first two chapters. And I think I just need to read more of this book. And then I will talk more. So I'm going to keep this brief because I really want to just dive in and, and finish uh, reading this book and um, reflect more on my own personal contribution and uh, hopefully ways that I can uh, not have white fragility. I don't know. Can you not have white fragility? Sorry, that's probably not right. That, yeah, I just need to reflect and I need to read more and I need to learn more. So we'll see you in the next personal journal. Bye. So I'm glad that we're reading this book just for me personally. Like it's not an easy book to read, but I think what it does is makes you reflect on things that you've done in the past that you could have done differently and how you could have done differently and maybe how I'll do things differently in the future. And the thing in the book that really got me is I'm such a passive person and like such an avoider of conflict at all costs. So I look at different things I've done in my life. And then I started thinking about how I had a friend who was indigenous in college and I made a racial slur. Then I said something about Eskimos. And at the time, I didn't know that was a racial slur. And she just told me, like, and I'm forever grateful for that. And I think that instead of being afraid of the outcome, I should just tell people when I think what they're saying isn't, if I think it's offensive and at least they'll think about it twice before they say it in the future. And I guess that's the point, like that's how things are going to change. Yeah. So anyway, this book really is making me think a lot about the things I've done in the past, made me feel like I wish I did them differently. And hopefully I'm going to be braver in the future to say something at the time instead of like passively saying it later or beating around the bush or painting a different picture or not saying something directly to someone, but either passively aggressively or just full passive. Anyway, so that's helping me just reflect on how I can be different. And I'm back for my uncomfortable personal journal. Yes, it is still very uncomfortable. But is that a bad thing? I think it just feels bad because we want to alleviate discomfort. But no, I need to stay in this discomfort because that's what I got to do. Like, holy cow, this book is blowing me away. I can say with absolute assurance, I totally understand why the author added as the subtitle, 
why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Yup. Uh-huh. Yup. And to that, I would like to share this passage from page 72. It blew me away completely and totally almost knocked me off of my chair. It says, while making racism bad seems like a positive change, we have to look at how this functions in practice. So like, I'm intrigued at this point, right? Within this paradigm, to suggest that I am racist is to deliver a deep moral blow, a kind of character assassination. It's like the author understands. Like, oh, having received this blow, I must defend my character. And that is where all my energy will go to deflecting the charge rather than reflecting on my behavior. In this way, the good bad binary makes it nearly impossible to talk to white people about racism, what it is, how it shapes all of us and the inevitable ways that we are conditioned to participate in it. If we cannot discuss these dynamics or see ourselves within them, we cannot stop participating in racism. The good, bad, binary made it effectively impossible for the average white person to understand, much less interpret, racism. I have absolutely contributed towards this binary mode of thinking of just keeping racism or being a racist is solely a good, bad thing. And of course, I would want to defend my position and claim that I am not a racist. And I didn't realize how words are so important to this learning, to this discussion, it's not about assigning a label of I am a good person because I am not a racist or I am a bad person because I am a racist. It's inviting ourselves to get out of that binary mode of thinking because that's where the true learning and reflection can take place. That passage blew me away. Just this book is incredible absolutely incredible. I think I'm going to remain scared to the very end to continue reading it, but it's a thankful kind of scared. It's a necessary one. I'm actually, I'm almost done. I'm up to chapter nine of 12. I actually, full disclosure, I switched a lot of it to, I got it on Audible. I find it hard to take in the information on this one in, um, with reading it. So it's been kind of nice to listen to it and rewind and listen to it again and kind of, I don't know, it feels like it's going in easier this way. So that's kind of interesting. It's a tough read slash listen because the information is so, so intense. One chapter that's really stuck out to me, I don't know if I mentioned it in my last personal journal or even if I was there yet, but is chapter five. It's called The Good bad binary. And that chapter really helped change my perspective and open myself up to the ideas, I think, in a, in a fuller way, because it released my thoughts about, you know, racists are bad people and kind of like the full extent 
Holy smokes, this is like, ugh. I, I find talking about this book in general, just I'm stumbling over my words a lot. Maybe it's because the topic makes me nervous. But, you know, I think of a racist as like almost like an extremist. And, and I don't think of them as like a good person. But then that chapter really opened my mind about like, there's so many levels of racism built into the, the cake of our society, our, our Westernized society, at least, and how that shapes us all in this way that whether I like it or not, I am racist and I do participate in racist actions by participating in the system. And that is hard to say. Like, nobody wants to think of themselves well. I don't want to think of myself as a racist, but I, I'm certainly participating in a system that, that is very white-centric and doesn't maybe allow for other ethnicities or people of color. It doesn't make room as much as I just never thought about it. It's really an eye-opener. And that chapter really helped me think about, you know, a racist isn't just a white supremacist. It's There's so many levels. And to start really seeing where you can make changes. Hori, I stumbled over my words so much. It's just like a really... It's an intense topic and it's a really hard, it's hard new information to take in. And I'm ashamed to say that I just hadn't really thought about it before, but I'm glad I'm learning. And yeah, it's just good information. So see you in the next one. I guess the book report's next. I get better get reading or listening because I'm a stinky cheater using my ears, not my eyes. All right. Bye, guys. This is my second personal journal for White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Pretty early in the book, she calls out white people for giving predictable answers when she asks them about racism. She tells us that there's two Western ideologies that contribute to this, namely individuality and objectivity. Individuality is the idea that we're all unique, even within our social group. And objectivity is the idea that we can have opinions without bias. And because we grew up in this cultural framework, it's hard for us to talk about the white experience as a whole, which is very important. We're going to talk about white supremacy and white fragility and white people as a race. This part really spoke to me because I see myself in that. My individuality is very important to me. And I do like to think about how I'm the same as other people, but also how I'm different and unique. And there's something she said in there. She said to generalize is breaking a cardinal rule. And I really do hate generalizations. I hate being put in a box. We talked about this a lot when we read Women Who Run With The Wolves and, and Untamed as well, which is about being put in a box and trying to fit into that box. But that's what white supremacy does to everybody who is not white. And uh, so I really enjoyed that because she called me out and I thought it was a good intro to the book talking about how we grow up in a culture and that cultural cultural framework informs who we become, what our implicit biases are, and our personalities, how we view the world, and how we view others. And she also said that part of, another part of uh, being white, I guess, she says that a significant aspect of white identity is to see oneself as an individual outside or innocent of race, just human. And I can't even count the number of times I've heard maybe myself or someone else say, well, we're all just human. And I think this is, um, I mean, you can say it, but if, if society as a whole is treating 
non-white people differently than culturally, I guess we don't really believe that, do we? So I thought it was a good intro to the book for me. It, she she drew me in by calling me out. I think that uh, this book is really important. I think that having words to describe experiences that were formerly uh, going unacknowledged, or if that's a word, or ignored, is the best part of this book. And all of the, not all of the books, but the the, the movement toward dismantling white supremacy and anti-racism. I think it's the language part of it has been very important. It's been integral in the ability to dismantle. If you don't name it, you can't claim it. (laughs) I don't know if that's lame. Anyway, I just, I think that the work is important and I think that this book is important. And I think that if any person, specifically a white person, has the courage or the curiosity to pick up this book and read it, then um, that is a great thing. What happens after that, we don't have to worry about right now. Just breaking down that first barrier of even being willing to open your mind to the potential of hearing the information is a huge accomplishment anyway. Like I said, I read a different book first, and that book was a little bit more in my perception. I mean, it was just my experience, and but it could have been because it was the first book that I read. So I had I experienced my white fragility in reading that book. So when I came to read actually white fragility, I had already been through some of that painful process and come around to being able to accept some things. But I think that it's a good book for white people to read. Like Squiggy was right. All white people should read it. It doesn't mean you have to do anything. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Just read it, right? Because the beginning seed that's planted by it can't be undervalued. It's an interesting process that a person goes through. I've, I've witnessed it in a, in a number of different people who have been introduced to these ideas. And it's funny how predictable it is. Like white fragility is a thing. <laughs> like it's, it's like proven, I mean, based on my like observation of three people. But like I, these books are written because it's the, based on the observations of many people for many years. So the fact that, again, I'm coming full circle, there are words to name what's been going on is a great step forward in this movement. So I enjoy this book and I enjoy reading these works and sometimes struggle with how to move forward from the point of opening my mind to these concepts. But just because I struggle doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. It might even indicate more that it's worth doing. If you like, it's going to be hard. It's still worth doing. So I'm committed. to I can't go backwards you know that's the other thing too once you have this information you can't go backwards anyway in reading this book I'm moving forwards this interruption is brought to you by unpublished do you want to know more about the members and book interrupted go behind the scenes visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com book interrupted my interruption is computer trouble boo My computer died right before the deadline for tax season, and I just couldn't get it up and running again. I was so frustrated with just PCs in general that I went ahead and bought a Mac. I was still trying to fix the original computer with the various customer service people, and it's just so painful. But this frustrating story has a happy ending because the Mac is really user-friendly. I know everybody says that, but it's just really nice to experience. Book Interrupted.
Let's listen in to this episode's group discussion. Welcome to our group discussion for White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I don't know if you guys mind, but I wouldn't mind going first because I had a moment sharing to someone that I was reading this book and it was like a learning moment. So I was telling someone here that I was reading, you know, we're reading White Fragility for our book club, this, this book cycle. And they said to me, oh, is that why you started using the term people of color? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And they're like, yeah, so I don't know what's socially acceptable in America, but I find that really offensive. I don't look at myself as someone not white. Like I don't categorize myself as not white. And that's what saying people of color means to me. And I would prefer if you said Senegalese or African or even black. So, and I was like, oh, so sorry. I like that. So I thought I'd share that because the book, so I started using the language in the book and they're like, oh, that's why you started using that term. And they're, so anyway, they were like, um, yeah, I find that really offensive because I don't categorize myself as not white. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought of that at all. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. There's so many things in this. In general, the more I've been researching about this book and then also reading this book, but things that I just had no idea the language that I used would be taken in a different way than, well, maybe that I meant or that, I don't know, that I, I feel like there's just so many things in our language and culture that we just do that is offensive to people. Yeah, yeah. This person was like, it was really, I find it really offensive. And like, it was just out of the blue, you started using this term. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. But I don't know what, maybe it is, a, they were like, maybe in America, like, that's something that people say, but, right? She does also contextualize the book as it being Western and colonizers. I'm not yeah. sure about Senegal's history per se, but I definitely wouldn't use person of color when I walk around India because that puts me in a different context when discussing racial matters. And yeah. it's one of those balances that I went to Peru and learned about the Chinese slavery there. It blew my mind because I'm like, oh God, there's other histories around the world. So it's that matter of colonization and what we were taught in the education system that really puts us in a bubble that until you step out of that, you're like, oh, there's all these other cultural protocols. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like, since our show is also, uh, we have <clears throat> listeners on 46 countries around the world. It's just something to be mindful of that this book is written in by the U.S. perspective. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that we're all story, within yeah. the Western colonized state of mind of yeah. how we've been socialized that way. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I found the whole experience of this book uncomfortable <laughs> like there was no <laughs> uncomfortable it was like the layers of you know I think we talked about she even talks about it in the book about like rationalizing your like oh well my best friend's black and uh or a person of color and like this person and uh I dated a whole bunch of other ethnicities like whatever it is like I started to do that too Sarah touched on that like and that part was like when she mentioned in the book it was so like unnerving you're like oh she knows I did that <laughs> and then just along the way just like I, I said this a lot in my personal journals but like it took tell about chapter five and chapter five was like my like TSN turning point of like <laughs> that I could take in the information because chapter five was about like the good, bad binary. And it, it was, I think really just, she broke it down in those terms, like 
good people aren't racist and bad people are racist. And that's not true. Like there's all levels. There's we can't help ourselves that I finally could take in the information and really see where I am. Well, without choice, I'm participating in a racist society, but where I'm lying to myself and like where where I could like almost uh, rein it in. Like there are things I could do differently. Not, not all of it's forced on me by my society. Like I've just have a lot of blinders on as it turns out. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable to say. Totally. So for me, my experience of this book was opposite though, because I read me and white supremacy first, which is mm-hmm. not so like, I feel like white fragility from a white person to white people is um almost nurturing. If you could say that in delivering the message, because they know, you know, this isn't going to be easy white fragility right and so they try to make it as the message as digestible as possible and that is not the uh feeling you get when you read me in white supremacy which is fine right but for me to have that experience first i had my full blown white fragility reaction to me in white supremacy and then reading white fragility is almost like oh it's so nice to have it you know explained in this way to me like I don't know like as if this person I I feel like nurtured is the best way to put it but it's only because of my personal experience because I felt you know uncomfortable or upset from me and white supremacy again as because of the the recognition of the ways that you are racist that's what something I was thinking about today put this in my personal journal is trying on the phrase like saying out loud I'm so racist And being okay with saying it because it's not that binary. It is the outcome of the society I was socialized in. And until I can be like, yeah, racist. Oh, yep, racist, racist, whatever. You can't not be racist or work towards not, you know, perpetuating racism. So... My point is that I liked the the way that the message in White Fragility was delivered, but the message nonetheless is... Yeah, it's like it coddled you. Yeah, it felt nice, but... Quiggy and I were talking about earlier how we listened to... You listened recently, just like last night, to the book on audio tape, Squiggy? Yeah, I crammed last night for this. Yeah, you did a cram sesh. Um, And the voice they chose to to do it is very like, rock-a-bye, white people, (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be okay. We know yeah. you're fragile and you're racist as well. <laughs> yeah. The voice is also, so like confusing with the content. The balance I found with people though, is that once they've worked through that awkwardness or the uncomfortableness, then it almost becomes easy to recognize and you become comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely stemming off that disregard of that good, bad binary. So it's like, okay, I'm not evil. And I've had to deal with this with uh, feminism slash misogyny. And like, I am not an evil man, though I would in one back in the day, make a period joke or something like that. Mm. Working through that awkwardness or that uncomfortableness or hitting that TSN turning point is that when you're mm. like, okay, I'm through this. And even looking at how the last conversation with and how this one is hoping to go is that it's, gets to a point where it's almost fun and it's weird to talk about anti-racism and self-awareness and self-reflection, but also be able to smile and laugh and work through it. And it's just weird once you break through that that uncomfortableness to be able to work on those things is actually productive and weirdly enjoyable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like once your blinders are off, you see all this stuff, you're like, man, I didn't even know. And it's such a great, like what KJ's saying is, Kim, it's such a great, beginning book to 
talk to for white people to read who want to do anti-racism stuff i've talked to some people and about this book i'm reading and a lot of people don't know what white fragility is like many of us didn't before the book it's just uh people actually want to talk about it but it is funny like when you notice things you're like wait a minute that that's ridiculous right like I don't know. My husband hasn't read this book, but I've been talking to him about it. And uh, I'll be like, hey, this, this is ridiculous, right? And like, we'll have a laugh about how ridiculous something is. They're like, oh, I got to say something about that or whatever, right? And then it becomes easier to be like, look how ridiculous this is. <laughs> so I had just read the part, White Women Tears, and how having someone that you offended, um, like console you for you offending them. This isn't the, like that situation happened except for I got pulled over by a police officer and I couldn't find our insurance tag and he's like you can't leave without it and there's always this like um, language barrier for me because my French is horrific and I was like you can't I know I have one I just have to call my husband anyway and my husband was pinking up and whatever and by the end of it I started crying and he let me go and I was like oh, there we go just did it just did it just cried myself out of a ticket yeah, but not in a racist way. Not in a racist way. <laughs> Just in a tickety kind of way. <laughs> right. I, it's not the same thing, but it made me think of how yes. I'm doing something wrong and I'm asking this guy to console okay. me. It's not his problem that you don't have the insurance. He's just doing his job. Okay, I understand your parallel. Yeah, I'm going to write you a ticket now and I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, okay, just go. <laughs> you know what's been happening to me, which is really odd and weird. So now in my dreams, people are different colored skin, which is weird because I don't remember people not having different, like, I don't remember people having any, like, maybe they were all white. I don't know. Maybe people just weren't, I just didn't notice. But now oh. I actually notice in my dreams, people with different skin color, which is odd to me. And I also have this like weird thing, and I've done some research about um, some criticism towards this book, but also just that like that now people are saying it might um, also reinforce stereotypes and it's very condescending towards Black people. And because then now you're noticing and then you're going out of your way to do something differently that could be thought of as offensive. I don't know what everyone thinks about that. This is just in some articles I've read. Like the whole using people of color, Sarah used that and ended up offending somebody, right? Like, I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like you're saying something like that, where it changed your behavior and maybe that wasn't, I don't know. Yeah, it changed like, my behavior and then it offended someone. But well, the bye. thing is, I think the point of the book is it offended someone. I was talking openly about this book and they were okay talking openly to me. And then I was like, oh, sorry, I won't do that again. And I'll bring it up on my show. And they're like, okay, great, thanks. I also think that, the society is so like, it's so entrenched historically. Um, but this book is, I think the, if it only had one small mission is to get people talking about race, to get people comfortable talking about race, to get white people to acknowledge that race is a factor in things. And so if they're now going about it all fucking white and like wrecking it, then the whatever, right? But at least they're talking about it, right? At least the <laughs> conversation is now on the table. And I think so anything that is like a criticism of the book in that kind of a category, I think is um, a criticism, not necessarily a forgivable one, but one that we can work with because I think the point was to 
to open the conversation, to begin the conversation where we talk about, yes, I see that you're different. Yes, society has been designed in a way to, based on what your difference is, keep you up or down or whatever, right? So nothing's perfect, right? And white people are totally going to fuck it up once they get all woke about it and go about on their missions now to save everybody. (laughs) But um, at least they're trying, you know what I mean? At least they're talking about it, I think is at least a silver lining anyway. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, what you guys were saying about it being an easy book to start with, like if you start with this and then you go to something different and you learn more and you're growing and stuff, I think that that's the best way to do it as opposed to just reading this book and being like, now I know, now I'm, I know everything about Check. everything. So yeah. that off the <laughs> list. Check I off the see. list. I'm not racist or I am racist or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think you're <laughs> like, no. you are. It's just like anything that's worth doing is going to be hard. You're going to do mistakes. Like if you're going to get good at anything, you have to, you're, you kind of stumble forward and every mistake you make, you get better. Right. It's just, I think some people want it to be easy and it's not going to be easy uh, to change society. So entrenched. Right. I think like to Lindsay's point, like with your, the research you found in some of the like criticism about how, like, I can totally see that. I even noticed it in myself that all of a sudden, like, I felt like I earned this badge because I read this book that allotted me the opportunity to go out there and be like, I'm a changed woman. I'm different for myself. I think maybe that criticism is correct. Maybe there are some people that if we don't check ourselves and look at the motivators towards how we're stepping forward, there are some people that will read, there are some white people that will read the book and they'll go out there. And yes, like to Kim's point, like, yeah, it is good that they're wanting to be an active participant in change, of course, but like check yourself. Because if your motivator is posturing so that you can put yourself back onto the binary spectrum of being like reinforcement of I'm a good person, Mm -hmm. then maybe it is problematic, right? But if you're checking yourself, and you're realizing that your motivator is stemming more from, I know better, therefore now I will do better. And I forget who uh, coined that quote, and I might be paraphrasing. It's Maya Angelou. Angelou. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my most favorite person in the whole world. Um, <laughs> yeah, like we can't help those circumstances. And in fact, I would applaud anyone who recognizes that they're knowing or understanding or learning differently and that they have perhaps a new lens new perspectives brought about by a great book and yeah like do better of course but yeah I think it absolutely there's so much internal check-ins like I found like to Leah's point like it was around chapter five that I started I was getting I was turtling up and getting all tongue-tied and getting trapped in this loop of like political correctness so I'm like I'm just gonna stay silent because I don't know what to say because I'm gonna royally fuck this up and put my foot and multiple feet into my mouth But then around chapter five, when it got to like those binary of good and bad, I was like, okay, what is required of me on the inside to be okay with being imperfect? How can I continue to try to do better knowing that it will come at the cost of sometimes epic failures? And so I just went back to like, there's a big mindset shift here and I came across uh, Brene Brown, her Unlocking Us podcast, this one episode with Austin Channing, I believe it is. And Brene shared, like, similarly, she had to develop like a go-to phrase or a mantra for herself to allow herself to feel okay with trying new things in new ways. And it was mostly around 
I am not here to be right. I'm here to learn how to get it right. And I found, yeah, it was around chapter five. And then listening to that podcast episode that I was like, okay, okay. My nervous system has calmed down enough to allow me to try again and then try again and then try again and then try again and be open to feedback. I like the way that the author put it because she said um, that she imagines herself on a continuum and also like specifically pointed out that she's never going to be done or there or anything else. It's just a continuum. And as long as she's in every given moment working her best to kind of progress on the continuum, then she can count herself, I, I guess, good, worthy, whatever, but like count herself even successful. I don't know those words. I like as all of moving them in the mouth. right direction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cause I feel like all the words I just said were not, they were too final. Yeah. Yeah. And with this book it was mentioned about the possibility of posturing, but like you just pointed out in this book, if you read this book, Hey, if you're taking the time to read a book, that's more than just sharing a meme. So that effort there, I find with social media activism is so lazy that the people that actually take the time to read a book aren't the ones that are most likely posturing about it. And then this book, if you actually read it, it puts you on a spectrum where you're not saying that, yes, I'm finished my job. It doesn't, the book itself doesn't give you a badge at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The book itself tells you that we're on this continuum, the spectrum, this moving forward. And that's why it is a good gateway book. And I, I don't mind it being criticism. I like critiquing it and writing in general, but it's almost like the, the pop music of anti-racism. It, totally. Yeah, it gets totally. a nodding. And then like, you can't overanalyze it because it's just pop music. It's it's a short book. It's a window. It's a gateway. And then, yes, you can go on to much heavier anti-racism books that is just far more in-depth. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, Book Interrupted. You can also find our videos on www.bookinterrupted.com. Are you really connecting with a particular Book Interrupted member and want to hear more of what they have to say? With your free trial to Unpublished, you gain access to the Book Interrupted Inklings and real-life video content of our day-to-day challenges, thoughts, and opinions. Go to www.bookinterrupted.com backslash unpublished to start your free trial today. Moments you can look forward to on next week's Book Interrupted. Go to someone that's going to say, no, that was shit. And then the prison guards ended up acting violently. And I don't want your sweaty candy, sir. Technically, I'm not mixed, but emotionally, culturally, I am. Megan, right? Did the Oprah interview and it was a big uproar and kind of, I like Sharon Osbourne. I always Um, think about that bystander thing. Like when I see something. Book interrupted.